You know, in thinking about this series we're doing on spiritual gifts, and I came to this week, and just some interesting thoughts came to my mind, because we're talking about words today. And what do good words do? Good words inspire, good words encourage, uplift, and invigorate. Let me read you some, some famous good words from some people that, in, that uh, spurred others on to do things that they thought might be beyond themselves. First, uh, some of these, most of these you may have heard before, uh, or at least maybe heard some of the stories about these. But this first one is from Herb Brooks, who was a hockey coach when U.S. went against Russia in the miracle game. U.S. was down, no hope. And he stepped before his players and he said this speech. And he said, great moments are born from great opportunity. And that's what you have here tonight, boys. That's what you've earned here tonight. One game. If we played them ten times, they might win nine, but not this game. Not tonight. Good words inspire. Or Martin Luther King Jr. I have a dream that one day every valley shall be exalted. Every hill and mountain shall be made low. The rough places will be made plain and the crooked places will be made straight. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. Good words invigorate. What about Abraham Lincoln? It is rather for us to be here, dedicated to the great task remaining before us, that from these honored dead we take increased devotion to that cause for which they here gave the last full measure of devotion, that we here highly resolve that these dead shall not have died in vain, that this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom, and that government of the people by the people, for the people, shall not perish from the earth. To me, what makes some of Abraham Lincoln's speeches so phenomenal is we're told through history that his voice was kind of whiny and didn't, as we would determine it today, carry the tone of weight that his words did. But because the words he spoke were so powerful, they resonated well beyond the timber of his voice. JFK. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. Words inspire. The words also encourage. FDR. So, first of all, let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Nameless, unreasoning, unjustified terror that paralyzes needed efforts to convert retreat into advance. All of these are some of the greatest speeches ever said. And we come down to this one, last one I'm going to give you. I believe of all these speeches I have read is right up in the upper echelons. This comes from Winston Churchill just days away from Germany flying planes over London, 
killing thousands of people. He stands up in parliament knowing half the people hate his guts, if not more. And he rouses the nation with this. We shall go on to the end. We shall fight in France. We shall fight on the seas and oceans. We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall defend our island, whatever the cost may be. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. Words lift us up to a place we didn't think we could go. Proverbs 15, 23 says, A word in season, how good it is. How true that statement is. How many of us have ever gotten a text or a phone call at just the right moment? Saying just the right words we needed for that moment. And so these words from Solomon ring true. A word in season, how good it is. Good words have great power. But they're not the only kind of words with good power, or with great power. Good words aren't the only kind of words that exist, right? Look at what else is said in Proverbs 18. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. So just as much as words can lift you up, they can rip the ground right from under you. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. But for the believer... The follower of Jesus, the disciple of Jesus, there ought to only be one path forward. Look at what the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians 4.29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Let no corrupting talk. That phrase, corrupting talk, literally means harmful word. Let not one single harmful word come out of your mouth. Not one. So, and he's writing to Christians. So for the believer, no harmful word should ever come out of our mouths. Ever. Ever. I mean, it says, I mean, y'all are reading it like I'm reading it, right? I do have my glasses on. It says, let no corrupting talk, right? Isn't that what it says? It doesn't say, let most corrupting talk not come out of your mouth, but when that one person's name comes up, you can get all corrupting you want. You can say all kinds of, they are evil to the core. You can be all kinds of harmful about them. Now Paul says, let no harmful talk, not even one ounce, not even one word, not one phrase, not one thought. Let no harmful thing come out of your mouth if you're a follower of Jesus. But now harmful doesn't necessarily simply refer to the words themselves. It can also refer to how the words are delivered in their tone or inflection. I mean, imagine if the delivery driver comes to your door to deliver a package. If he comes and delivers a package and sets it nice and neatly down on the porch and you're standing at the door, yes, that's the way you want to do it. But if he stops five feet away from the door and chucks it as hard as he can at your face, how he delivered the package is going to hurt. Sometimes it's how something is said, even if the thing itself isn't damaging by itself. The tone or inflection can do just as much damage as if the words themselves were damaging. 
And the hard thing is sometimes we may not know we're saying it in a harmful tone. We may not realize the inflection that we have. Because sometimes the tone that laces our words is so subtle we don't realize it's there. Because we've got something harmful going on within our heart that it instinctively, subconsciously, laces what we say to the people around us. So that the people around us now are on edge constantly because they think we're all kinds of upset. And we don't even realize we're upset because we've allowed this damaging fire of bitterness to burn within us. And now everything that comes out of our mouth is stabbing people in the ears. Well, Paul says, let no harmful word come out of your mouth. No harmful word. Not even one slight thing. Whether it's subconscious coming out or it's on purpose because words can be intentionally wielded like weapons to strike out and cause somebody else harm when we allow the anger and bitterness or sin to direct our actions rather than the Holy Spirit. Scripture says this, Proverbs twelve eighteen. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Don't raise your hands, but... Have you ever felt like somebody was intentionally using their words to stab you in the heart? Like they were using their words to really get at you on purpose. But the same side or the opposite side of the same coin, have you ever done that? Allowed your sin to get the better of you in the moment and tried to cause harm to the other person by using your words like Solomon says here, sword thrust just getting them good. Well, I've been saving this one. I've been holding on to this one for a week and a half, and here it comes, because you're coming at me. I'm about to lay it down on you. But look at how the verse is phrased here. There's one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. This verse is, is a verse of contrast. The second half of the verse, he's talking about the wise person. And so if it's, since it's contrast, the first part of the verse is talking about the opposite of a wise person. A fool, someone who does not walk in the way of God. So what he's saying here in this verse is, when you don't walk in the way of God, you are doing things like that. Using your words like sword thrust to cut somebody down. So that's not somebody who's following God, that's not how they act. It's refusing the way of God to use your words to intentionally wound somebody. Because words are powerful. Words are extremely dangerous, and they can do far more damage, far deeper than we ever thought possible. We may not think the words we're saying are that big of a deal, but they stay with the person who hears us for decades. For decades. I mean, they say how we speak to our children consistently becomes their inner voice because they carry it. There's a story of a guy, he's from Oklahoma, and he was... Uh, the leader of this massive organization. They had thousands of employees, and he was the leader of the whole thing. He would walk into meetings, trying to be jovial, trying to, he, he's a fun guy, and uh, then he would, he would say some things and have a good time and then leave the meeting, and he got called aside by his secretary one time. And uh, she had known him from the beginning. He started this, co this company, he, she'd known him from the beginning, and she really just pulled him aside and just ripped him a new one. And she said, you don't realize, but your words weigh a 1,000 pounds. And you're coming in there, and you're throwing them around, and it's all fun and games. And I know you, and I know it's fun and games. But those people in there, they're getting smacked around by your 1,000-weight words. <laughs> you got to be careful. 
because words are dangerous. And now you don't have to be the leader of an organization with thousands of employees to carry thousand pound words. All of us carry thousand pound words in how we speak, in who we speak to, and lashing out with them or typing them with our thumbs. Our words are dangerous because of who we belong to. We belong to Jesus. And so our words should be something different than everybody else. Our words should never be used to hurt or sting or wound or even shock somebody to, to, as an awe tactic to give them pause and make them freeze in the middle of a discussion. That's the very reason Paul says this thing that he does in Ephesians 4.29 that nothing harmful is ever to leave our mouths because words are dangerous. And anything potentially dangerous should be handled with great caution and intention. It all comes down to how the thing is used. It's like, like a hammer. A hammer can cause great pain, as anybody who's tried to hammer a nail and slightly miss can attest. But a hammer can also be used to build. It's a primary tool used to build. But that's exactly where Paul went with his instruction there in Ephesians 4.29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Notice right there in the middle of the verse, he says, only such as is good for building up. So the only things that come out of our mouths ought to be things that build up. The only things that come out of the mouth of a disciple of Jesus are words that build. And Paul was so hung up on this building illustration that he used it frequently. Back in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, He says, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. In this verse, he's talking about the church, Christians. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. That is scripture, the teaching from scripture. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, the the thing that holds all of it together. And so, we're supposed to be built up on scripture. God's church, us as individual Christians, we're built up securely on Scripture. And so, being built on Scripture, the more Scripture we have involved in our lives, the stronger the foundation is. And we're building on that foundation every day. The more Scripture we ingest, the stronger the building. But not only that, Ephesians 2.22. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So there's multiple builders on our foundation. We're building on the foundation of our lives with Scripture. But in addition, according to that verse, the Holy Spirit is also building on our foundation, strengthening us, building us up. But that's not where it ends either. There's someone else on our construction crew. Ephesians 4, 16. From whom the whole body, joined and held together, by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the whole body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now, did you catch what was there? You know, we build on our own foundations with with Scripture. The Holy Spirit builds on our foundation. And it says there, the whole body, the body grows so that it builds itself. So it's talking about the church. The church builds itself up in love. We are the church, so we're building on each other's foundations. We build on each other's foundations. 
We build on ourselves with scripture. The Holy Spirit builds on us with direct commission from uh, uh, his, his purpose and plan in our lives. But we can also build on each other's foundations as we encourage each other and build each other up in what God would have us do. And it's not just supposed to be haphazard. It's not just supposed to be, uh, you know, a, a, a default action just that we happen to do something that is encouraging to somebody else. Look at what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14, 12. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive in excellence in building up the church. Or strive to excel, depending on your translation. We're not supposed to just do it as we run by like a drive-by encouraging. He says excel in it. Excel in building each other up. That means work on it, get good at it. You can't excel at something if you don't work on it. And he says do a great job as you build each other up. Would any of you, now don't raise your hands because we'll know immediately who's humble and who's not. Would any of you say that you excel in encouraging other people? You are excellent at it. I mean, we can say this person has, has at times encouraged me in phenomenal ways. But this is quite a thing that Paul is saying. Strive to excel. Like, be the best at building up the church. Be the best at encouraging each other. Be the best at it. Work at it. I mean, think about the best in certain fields of skill or career around the world. To be the best, like today, Super Bowls this afternoon, in theory, the best two teams this year, do you think they did that, you know, by just showing up after Taco Bell, saying, I don't think I might play some football today. To be the best, they had to work at it. Day in, day out, hour after hour after hour after hour, work at it to excel, to be the best. So if we're going to build up the church, as Paul says here, in excellence, we're going to encourage one another in excellence. we got to work on it. We can't let it just happen. we got to invest in it and be intentional about it. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 26. He says, what then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. Now, if you're going to underline or circle something in your Bible, that word all needs to be highlighted to the nth degree. Let all things be done. You think Paul leaves any room there for commas or parentheses? Of, of, you know, loopholes out of that sentence. Let everything you do, everything, that covers all of it, be done for building up. Now, again, don't raise your hand, but if you were to examine your own life over the last, you know, let's just say, last hour and a half, would you say everything you did in the last hour and a half was done in an encouraging fashion? I mean, I can tell you No. And I've been at church for the last hour and a half. For me, let all things be done for building. All of it. 
everything you do, everything you say, every interaction you have, every thought that flies through your brain that you, that you meditate on and think on. Now, you can't control th- some thoughts that come into your brain, but you can control whether they stay there or not. And so everything be done for building up, for encouraging, for lifting up, uplifting, taking to another level. Let everything be done, all of it be done for this. But even though we're meant, as we've seen Paul describe here, to build up on the foundation of each other's lives, we have, like the hammer, the capability to destroy just as much as we have the capability to build. And so we ask ourselves then, am I a builder or a destroyer in the lives around me? Because words are given to be tools of construction, not destruction. And so if I'm going to walk in the way of Lord, uh, the way of the Lord, I need to be uh, building, not destroying. I need to be building up. I need to be, uh, you know, working on the construction crew, not the destruction crew. I, words are given to be tools of construction, not destruction. And so the Christian, I mean, that's, that's Paul's whole, I mean, this, the theme verse of this message is Ephesians 4.29. That's where he's going with that. We're supposed to be building each other up in their lives. And how do we do it? Well, in that Ephesians 4.29, what does Paul say? How do we build each other up? Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. We're to build each other up through words. But not just that. Look at what he says in that last phrase. Let only the stuff come out of your mouths that builds each other up, that it may give grace to those who hear. So what kind of words are supposed to come out of our mouths that build each other up? Words that give grace. Gracious words. But gracious words, you know, it's not just something we can try to make up. Gracious words are an imitation of Jesus. Because look at what was said of Jesus. This was actually said of Jesus by people who didn't like him very much in the moment. Uh, This is from Luke chapter 4, verse 22. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming out of his mouth. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? Confused about him. But even in their confusion, they still acknowledged the gracious words that were coming out of his mouth. Jesus gave words of grace. And if we're to imitate Jesus, we're supposed to give words of grace as well. But Paul doesn't just say this in Ephesians 4.29. Jesus doesn't just demonstrate this in Luke chapter 4, verse 22. Paul says it again in Colossians chapter 4, verse 6. He said, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Again, Paul doesn't leave any room here for loopholes. Let your speech always be gracious. Even when you're irritated, even when you wake up after three hours of sleep that was interrupted because somebody in your house was waking you up consistently, or you were having thoughts and dreams and it was messing you up, he says, even in those moments, or you're extra hungry or hangry or you're frustrated and all you're thinking about is whether or not that person sitting in the green pew across the room from you bid higher on you out there in the hallway on the one thing you wanted. He says, even then, let your speech always be gracious. Even when the other person is antagonistic, 
even when the other person votes different from you and likes to let you know they vote different from you, even when the other person is all kinds of mean-spirited and not very nice, he says, let your speech always be gracious. When Jesus was being nailed to the cross, he was still filled with grace. What did he say about the people who were nailing him? Father, forgive them. I don't know what your attitude would have been in that moment. I would have been like, Father, you strike them down right now. This is no. But Jesus' response was, Father, forgive them, was grace, giving them something they do not deserve. Forgiven. Let your speech always be gracious. The words of a disciple of Jesus are meant to be a gift of grace to everyone who hears. The words of a disciple of Jesus are meant to be grace, gifts of grace to anyone who hears because the words of Jesus were a gracious gift to anyone who listens to them. Everything that comes out of the mouth of someone who has received grace is to be grace. If we've received the limitless grace of Jesus, then we're supposed to be giving it as well so that everyone who hears from us is built up rather than torn down. Again, going to Proverbs. This, I love this verse. I, I couldn't get enough of this verse this week. Proverbs 16, 24. Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul, and health to the body. That word health literally means healing. Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul, and healing to the body. Healing to the body. I mean, like we mentioned a minute ago, when you've gotten the right words at just the right moment, those gracious words come in and lift you up. They can carry you when you thought all you were going to do was going to fall. They can, it, it's, it's, it's like dying of thirst, and those words are the water that brings new life to your step. Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul, health to the body. So the words of a disciple of Jesus are not merely to be good words that inspire good words that encourage or good words that uplift or invigorate the words of a disciple of Jesus are only always to be gracious the disciple of Jesus is always to speak words of grace always speak words of grace and now maybe you're better than me most of you are I don't always have words of grace on my mouth they're not always gracious. Sometimes I want justice rather than giving grace or mercy. They don't deserve it, Jesus. And then he whispers to my soul, well, neither do you. But I gave it anyway. Grace is receiving something we don't deserve. And having received, me personally, having received the unlimited grace of Jesus for every sin, I've ever done or ever will do, then I'm supposed to pass that same gr grace onto everyone around us. I'm supposed to hand it out freely to everybody, even the mean people, even the unkind people, 
Even those who will not appreciate it, who will reject it, who will slap us down because of it, we're supposed to give it to them anyway. Because it's grace. Of course they don't deserve it. Jesus gave us grace, and we definitely don't deserve it. And so because we've received it, we've got to give it. Giving these words of grace, lifting other people up. Don't let any harmful words come out of your mouths, but only such that is good for building up, that it may give grace to those who hear. It may elevate them beyond where they think they are. You know, that's what Jesus has done for us, his words of grace. His words of life, John chapter 6. Jesus has the words of life. Where else can we go? He lifts us up, and we need that life. We may need a second chance, and Jesus gives it. Sometimes people won't. Second chance, third chance, fourth chance, 20th chance, but Jesus does. Jesus, as I've said many times before, does not have a never-to-be-used-again shelf that he picks people up and sets them on. If you're still here, he's still going to use you. He's still giving you grace. And so in response to that, we believers, followers of Jesus, imitators of Jesus, ought also not to have a never-to-be-used-again shelf that we mentally place people on because we don't want to deal with them anymore. We don't want to think about them anymore. We don't want to have anything to do. I mean, have you ever had somebody who, who has been extremely offensive on purpose, malicious even to you, and it seems like everywhere you go, you see them? The bread aisle at Walmart, they keep coming up on your timeline even though you mute them for 30 days. You're driving down and you see their vehicle. Everywhere. I mean, the queen's not that big. Maybe Jesus is trying to teach us something about grace, about mercy. Now, it's not something we can do on our own. We need him to help us accomplish it. We need him to help us bring it. We need him to help us give it. This this idea of not letting anything harmful come out of our mouths is not something that we can, honestly, train ourselves enough to do, to have enough muscle memory to do it. We need supernatural power to do it because our default as sinful human beings is not to get extend grace as much as he has extended it to us. And so we need him to help us. And the only way is to have more of him in us. Like I said earlier, we have that foundation of our lives and we, we build on it with scripture. So we bring in more scripture as the Holy Spirit is also building on it, as other people are building on it. But even in the moment when those other people are doing damage to what's built on our foundation, we ought not to return the favor and do damage on theirs. We ought to only build up on theirs. As has Jesus around us and everyone since the foundation of the world. Do not let any harmful word come out of your mouth. Not even one. About anybody. And the thing is, as you begin to do this, that's the challenge for this week. Do not let any harmful word come out of your mouth. Speak grace. Say, preacher, that is too hard. (laughs) Don't think about it as seven days. How about just think about it as, as 24 hours and then go from there. But for the next 24 hours, don't let anything harmful come out of your mouth. Not one harmful word come out of your mouth. 
And, and as you do this deal and you begin to practice it using Jesus and his strength to enable you to persevere, it will begin to change your neural pathways. So eventually you do this long enough, you're not going to think about those harmful words anymore either. As you begin to do it, it'll change the way you think. I heard somebody talk about neural pathways this way. You know, you do something long enough, it's like walking through a field of tall grass. One time's not going to make a difference. But if you walk the same path through the tall grass enough, it's going to cut a pathway through that tall grass. If you leave the path alone, it's going to grow back over. And so it's the same thing with our brain. If we do something long enough, it's going to cut new pathways in our mind, create new habits, change who we are. And so the more Jesus we have, the more scripture we have, the more uh, uh, graceful words we have, it's going to cut new pathways and we're going to become new people because of the amount of Jesus we allow in our lives. So whether you take the challenge for the next seven days, you go the next 24 hours, or you just go the next hour, you go into small groups, you can't, I mean, you I don't know your small group. I know my small group. I, I, I might, well, no, actually me and Katie are working the nursery. So I can have no harmful words come out of my mouth for the next hour. Maybe I should have backed that one up. But we've got no harmful words coming out of our mouth for however long you take this challenge. No harmful words for your kids, your spouse, your neighbors, your coworkers, the referees this afternoon. The people you see when you're flipping because you get bored with the game this evening. No harmful words. Some of you are already thinking, well, no harmful words means no Facebook today. <laughs> that means I'm going to stay off. I'm just going to remove the temptation and not even go down that path so there are no harmful words. You're going to try to avoid certain people because you know instantaneously harmful words are popping all over the place when you see that person. No harmful words. Just try it. Try, instead of just abstaining from harmful words, do what Paul said in Ephesians 4.29. Instead of simply abstaining from harmful words, offer words of grace. You want to offer words, offer words of grace. It may be difficult. It may be hard. You may see that person, that person, at lunch today at the restaurant. Offer words of grace. And see what Jesus will do with that. With your heart and in the heart of the other person. You may never know what comes because of the seed you plant in that word of grace in that person's heart. But plant words of grace in lives all throughout this week. And watch the grace of Jesus grow up in all of those lives as you're scattering those seeds of grace. Now, before we pray and, and, and sing, I do want to say one last thing. If your thought in hearing all of these scriptures about not letting any harmful word come out of your mouth, only speaking words of grace, if your thought was, well, this, he's obviously talking about so-and-so because they offer all kinds of harmful words. They need to hear I'm gonna. I've already texted them this message. They need to hear this. If that was your thought, well, then these scriptures are for you. If you're, if you're instantly thinking about who this is for, you're deflecting, trying to avoid digging deep in the recesses of your heart. Now, I'm not blaming you. I've done that many, many times. 
Man, even in sermon prep before, I've been like, well, this person needs to hear this, and then I get into it, and Jesus is like, no, you need to hear this. You start getting out the broom, and you're getting in the corners of your life, and you can't speak it until you do it. And so we need to do it to ourselves. So before you start thinking, well, that's for so-and-so, apply these scriptures to yourself. Apply these scriptures to yourself and see what happens when you begin to only offer gracious words and, and, and remove all harmful vocabulary from your life. Jesus builds us up with his gracious words, with his words of life. And so you have to ask yourself this morning, do you need his words of life today? Do you need his words of life in your life today, maybe for the first time, believing that God sent Jesus, his son, to die so all of our sins would be forgiven. And then he rose from the dead so we can live after we die. He gave us those words of life and spoke them over us as he lived them out so that we can gain eternal life. And if you need that word of life today, this is your moment to believe. This is your moment to pick it up and do it. Not walk out, not take one foot off of this green carpet, out those doors to those desserts and snacks until you've believed in Jesus. So will you believe in Jesus today? Here in a moment, we're going to sing. Pastor Jared will be at the back. I'll be at the front. And whether you want to come to us as we're singing this song, we call it the invitation because we're inviting you to do something for Jesus. If you want to make a decision during the song, come and talk to us. You need somebody to pray, come and talk to us. Uh, but you can also come and talk to us when we're done. Uh, when the service is over and everybody's going out, you can come and grab us and talk um, about what you want to do for the Lord. Uh, make a decision for the Lord. But you're also welcome to come up here to these steps and pray. Pray for your heart. Pray for your words that may have been harmful. And that he would give you the strength to only offer words of grace. Pray for, maybe pray for presence of mind. That Jesus, in the moment when I see so-and-so, all I think are bad things. Jesus, give me presence of mind in the moment to only think of you and how you see them. Someone needing grace. So do you need his words of life today for the first time? Or do you need his strength to offer grace to everyone around you?